Bloody Elbow presents Sixth Round Retro, the show that digs into the archives and does a comprehensive review of classic MMA events that span as far back as UFC 1. But hey, we're live, and welcome to the Sixth Round Retro. I'm your host, Eddie Mercado, along with Fraser Coffeen of BloodyElbow.com. Fraser, how are you, sir? I am good, Eddie. Thank you for having me once again. Uh, I love having you, of course. Your input is, is always excellent. Now, of course, the date is August 27th, 2000, and the event is Pride 10, Return of the Warriors. Now, this was my pick. We got Fraser's pick and Eddie's pick. This is one of my picks. This is one of my all-time favorite cards. Uh, maybe I'm feeling ill or under the weather or whatever. This is one that I will just throw on. I mean, I still have the DVD from back in the day. I'll just throw it on and just watch it while I'm trying to get over my sickness and stuff. It's just a, a super awesome card. Full of, I mean, incredible fights. And, I mean, it was just, it was, it was super awesome for me. Uh, the commentators were cool. You had Steven Quadros, who is, you know, one of the unsung heroes of the MMA commentator world. and. Eddie Bravo, the first American to submit a Gracie. He he was also on the mic, which is pretty unique. I can't think of Bravo doing too many uh, commentating gigs for MMA. And we had the uh, classic Pride Lady, of course, which was always cool. And, yeah, so I think uh, Pride 10, the, the sport was doing a decent job of cleaning up everything and trying to get their rules kind of formatted the way they want. So it wasn't exactly the Wild West. It was, it was pr- pretty... I think the rules were followed um, somewhat well at this point. I wouldn't say there were too many fouls going on. And uh, this was also the height of the WWE or WWF for your you old school fans. This is when they were like, there was really nothing bigger. Like This is the height of professional wrestling. Of course, Ken Shamrock had just left professional wrestling and went back into the MMA world at this time. Um, so you got Return of the Warriors. You have Vanderlei Silva. He's making his return to Pride from his UFC fight and a fight on the Brazil circuit. Mark Kerr, the smashing machine, bouncing back from his first career loss. Uh, Kazuyuki Fujita, bouncing back from his first career loss. And we get a yellow card here, which was cool. Do you remember the yellow cards from Pride? Yellow card was a thing. That was definitely a part of Pride. You know, the here's it's for a foul, but a lot of times for the stalling, for just being lazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I think you got deducted 10% of your purse every time you got a yellow card. Yeah, three, so, three yellow cards and you're, and you're DQ'd, and every yellow card minus you lose 10% of your pay, which is awesome. Yeah, and I got to say, I really enjoyed that about Pride. I liked that they had something to combat stalling, mm-hmm. and, and it was incentive to where, you know, if you're out here laying praying or wall installing, you're going to lose 10% of your purse, and you're going to lose the dominant position. I thought that was swell. I think the UFC needs to look into that and maybe implement something similar. Now, of course, you know, there there's a little controversy over yellow cards because of it's kind of subjective, and, you know, it can we've seen it uh, work out great, and we've seen it be a little controversial. So it had it ups, it had its downs, but overall I think it was a great addition to the sport, and I kind of miss it, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, Pride's got, you know, it's funny you mentioned the WWF at the time, you know, because Pride obviously has these strong pro wrestling roots back to their uh, origins in Japan. And it was always really 
probably at all times, probably always maintained a real close tie to the, the pro wrestling circuit in Japan, which is very different from the pro wrestling world in the U S because it is, it's sort of seen as, I mean, it, it's still, you know, predetermined finishes and everything like that, but it is sort of seen as a bit more legitimate and a bit more sporting and that kind of thing. Um, but they really always took a, a certain pro wrestling element. And one of that big elements was, uh, you know, in fight promotion, but also in terms of like, Hey, these need to be entertaining fights. Like that's the most important thing is entertaining fights. And so, uh, you know, so that's what they tried to put together. And I think this card is a great example of it because there's a ton of fights on here that like, strictly speaking, maybe aren't like good um, or like a bunch of fighters on here who have some really bad records. I'm going to talk about that as we go, but, uh, but it's a great card because it's entertaining. Because even if somebody maybe isn't putting on like, you know, uh, an incredible like Demetrius Johnson-esque performance, like they're fun dudes out there having fun fights. Uh, and that really comes through here. Yeah, I, I just love this card. And yeah, it's great. Uh, you know, it had a little bit of everything. Uh, we saw the beginning of the end for Ken Shamrock here. We saw the pro debut for High and Gracie, also known as the Crazy Gracie or the uh, the Black Sheep Gracie, if you will. and. You know, Henzo Gracie trying to bounce back from a loss himself. Uh, Sakuraba bouncing back for his first pride loss. And, of course, the legendary jiu-jitsu moment where Sakuraba actually breaks the arm of Henzo Gracie. One of the most iconic jiu-jitsu moments in all of, of uh, mixed martial arts. I mean, legendary. Yeah, that's the main event. Should we dive in? Should we talk, talk some Saku and Henzo? Let's do it. Feeds Henzo Gracie by technical submission with a Kimura. At nine minutes and forty-three seconds of round two, technical submission. That means there was no tap. That means Sakuraba broke the arm of Henzo Gracie. Oh my God! If you are squeamish in the least bit, you might want to just catch the highlights and skip over the finish because this this is gruesome. Yeah, it it is. It's a nasty finish, and I gotta say, I love this fight. I think this fight is tremendous. It's not it's not what you kind of expect it to be in some ways from when they say that it's a great fight because it's, it's, it's these two excellent submission fighters with very little ground game to it. It's mostly stand up. And a lot of times that happens with two submission fighters. And a lot of times it sucks. Um, and this does not suck. This is really good. It's really compelling. It's really interesting, but it's slow paced. It's very strategic. Uh, you know, Sakuraba was coming off of, this is his third Gracie, uh, of what would ultimately be four. And he had beaten Hoyler, uh, and then he had that legendary, legendary 90 minute defeat of Hoist Gracie, where, you know, that was strategic and a war and drag out and took him again 90 minutes to beat Hoist Gracie, which is insane when you stop and think about it, because you hear, like, we hear about things like that, like, oh, these two fought for, you know, two hours in Brazil, you know, back in, you know, 1952. This is like the, like, his fight with Hoist Gracie is like the only example of that in sort of our modern world of MMA. So he's coming off of that, and then he has this Henzo fight, and it's, it's kind of similar to the Hoist fight for a while. Like, it's pretty strategic. It's it's a little slow pace because both guys are trying to be kind of cautious, and they're tra- and they both, you know, they know how dangerous the other one is. They know that, like, you know, well, if I just do this, then he's going to, you know, quickly get under there and he's going to take me down. So I got to be really cautious. And it's just this like very technical, precise game until Sakuraba finds the opening, grabs the arm, spins around and just snaps the elbow. 
Um, and, and it's amazing because it's this just, it's just this moment of pure, like submission, grappling violence that he just finds the time to do after 19 minutes of like, sort of looking for that moment. It's great. Yeah. Definitely a lot like the Hoist fight in that respect, yeah. but also like the Hoyler fight in yeah. some respects. I mean, he broke Hoyler's arm also with the Kimura. So it's like, you're doing it again. Like you broke one Gracie's arm. Get into this epic war with another Gracie. Hoist can't get off the stool. He's so exhausted. They throw in the towel. And then here you are breaking another Gracie's arm. But like before then, like it, it appeared as if Sakuraba had no interest in, in grappling whatsoever because he was able to get Henzo down multiple times, but he wouldn't engage. He would rather opt to stand above Gracie and just kick the legs or go for some unique variations of, of stomps and kicks and, and he, he really tried some 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 fancy I'll just say fancy. He tried some fancy kicks to uh to try to get past the guard of, of Henzo and I mean it was like what? Like I thought these guys were about to, you know, get it in. And so like the first round Sakuraba he gets he gets Henzo down and I'm like, oh here it comes. They're about to grapple. But then he just disengages and I'm like, well what's going on here? Yeah. So we had these two high-level grapplers opting to kickbox, which, you know, we didn't expect that at the time. I mean, whereas, you know, today is actually the norm. I mean, you you see that all the time nowadays when you have two guys whose specialties are the same, they'll usually, the fight will usually take place in the other areas of right. MMA. So right. very ahead of its time. And, and they're kicking back and forth. Like, I wish I had a, a, a count for how many kicks were thrown in this fight. And, I mean, you would never believe that a Gracie Sakuraba fight would entail that much kicking. But these dudes were just kicking the shit out of each other. And it, it was it was so crazy. And, and Sakuraba was so prime. Like, this is prime Sakuraba. Like, he's moving around. He's he's athletic here, you know? It's, it's, it's fun to see. He's doing his cartwheels, trying to pass the guard and stuff like that. And, I mean, Henzo made one mistake, and he gets a body lock takedown. Or he goes for the body lock takedown. Sakuraba locks up his favorite move, the Kimura, does this violent spin, drops down with it, and he breaks Henzo's arm before Henzo even knew what was happening. Yeah. And credit to Henzo, he didn't tap. You know, that's we salute you for that because it was it, it was really bad. His arm looked mangled. Like yeah, it was, it's bad. It's nasty. It's nasty. And you know, and, and the thing is too, if you weren't watching back at this time period, you don't really have a great appreciation for sort of or understanding of, of kind of the history of, of what led up to this. It's easy to um overlook how big of a deal it was back then to to break Hoyler Gracie's arm and then beat Hoist Gracie, which no one had ever done at that point ever. To be clear, Hoist, the first UFC champ, no one had beaten him, uh, except for Valid Ishmael in, in jiu-jitsu, but in MMA. And Ishmael! Yeah, always Ishmael. And then to break Henzo's arm. Like, the Gracies were, you know, they were legends for a reason. And, like, they, they like, ruled over the sport. And, like, every time one of them came in to pride and back at this era, it felt like you know, like the boss, the secret boss fight coming in out of nowhere. We're like, oh no, like he's, this guy's coming to fight me. And, and, and Sakuraba takes him out one, two, three in a row. Uh, it's really amazing. Quadros says at the end of the show, he says, Sakuraba's the best fighter in this world. And this fight just proved it. 
And I completely, 100% agree. At this time, Sakuraba, the number one fighter in the world, he's a guy who I think, unfortunately, perhaps because of not really, I mean, he had the one UFC fight too, but then on the one show. Um, but he's a guy who I, I think is not going to get ultimately the credit he deserves. He was the best fighter in the world at one point. Uh, and did here, this point, this is it. He's, he's incredible. Yeah, definitely. Uh... No, you're not going to say he's number one. Come on. At this point, I mean, just a year Ooh. later, he's getting slept by Vanderlei. Yeah, that yeah. was a that it it faded. Uh, you who's number one if not Saku? Right here. Right I mean, here I, I wouldn't. I think Mark Coleman's really oh. on fire at this point in time. Oh. Mark Kerr's on fire at this point in time. Volchetchen's on fire at this point. Uh, uh, in fact, Igor actually beat him right before this fight. Yeah, so. he, would, he had fought Royce for 90 minutes. Give the man a, a, a mulligan. <laughs> True, but I mean, Igor, Igor did hand him his business, you know. I, got, I love Igor, though. I'm such an Igor fan. But no, for, for, in all actuality, Sakuraba definitely had the claim to the baddest man on the planet. And especially the way he won. Like, definitive... There's no, like, did he tap? Did he not tap? Like, no. He broke this dude's arm, and if the referee wasn't there, he could have completely ripped it off of the body of Henzo Gracie. So, you know, and the respect afterwards was amazing. You know, Henzo gets on the mic, and he goes, uh, he called Sakuraba the Japanese version of the Gracie family. And I'm like, oh, yes. Like, that's what this is all about. You know what I mean? A heated rivalry, like a family rivalry, a feud, you know? And but at the end of the day, it's all love and it's all respect. And and man, what what a what a beautiful like poetic scene for martial arts. You know, yeah. like this. I, I think this is the most iconic submission of all time in mixed martial arts competition. I can't think of one. Uh, you know, you got your your Verdum Fedor that was huge, but nowhere nowhere close to what this was. Well, and I think you just hit the nail on the head with what's so amazing about the entire Sakuraba Gracie feud is that. Um, is that it did, it felt like an old school martial arts, like, like what we kind of thought of mixed martial arts when it first started. Like it was, you know, it it felt like dojo versus dojo and like one person like coming in and trying to prove the superiority of like him and his training camp. And, you know, it just felt like it was from this sort of old era, um, in a really cool and interesting way that, that, uh, you know, that we just don't really see anymore um and uh yeah it's neat and i think all the all of the the sakuraba gracie fights you know fall into that category yeah and i should say actually i I should correct myself and say that he when i said before you know this is third of four gracies it's the third of four gracies during this time he then later in his late career he had a couple more gracie fights but those those pay those no mind yeah exactly and even the rematch with with uh hoist no so you know, Sakuraba, he went on to have a bunch more epic fights in Pride. Yeah, so he, his record as of today is 26-17-1-2. And, and he finished 23 of his 26 wins. Like, yeah. what? That's ridiculous. Like, that finishing rate is absolutely absurd. Like, That's amazing. And he's got some, and he's got some just incredible fights in there. When you were talking before about like, you know, ooh, I can't wait to see like the ground battle that never quite materializes. If you're somebody who wants to see that with Sakuraba and be like, what's Sakuraba capable of on the ground? Go back and watch his fight with Carlos Newton. Uh, I think it's Pride Three. I want to say an all-time great ground battle, truly amazing. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, you know, Sakuraba has been knocked out a bunch. He's been knocked out ten times. 
He finished up his pro career, hopefully, with a with a, a fight fight losing skid. So that's a kind of sad ending to his MMA career. I think he might have some grappling tournaments that he's putting on going on, but uh, I, I'm, I hope he just stays out of the uh, the MMA game as far as a fighter goes. Yes, absolutely. coaching maybe you know I'm all for stuff like that. Henzo on the flip side, this came towards the beginning of a one in six losing skid. You know, he got knocked out by Hendo in his next fight. It was brutal. Brutally, and, brutally knocked out. Yeah. But his his final six fights were all against legends, going three and three. So, you know, go watch his last six fights because it's, it's all just bangers, 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 all names. It's, uh, I guess we can reel them off real quick. Okay, so his last six fights, Carlos Newton, two. Uh, BJ Penn, Pat Milicic, Carlos Newton, three. Is that right? I think just two. Is it one and two? Maybe fought him twice. Okay, so he fought Carlos Newton at Pride Bushido one. Okay, and then he fought him again at IFL six. Know, right <laughs> there, you go. Um, but yeah, Frank Shamrock finishing up against Matt Hughes at UFC one twelve. I actually forgot that Henzo made it to the UFC. And I think that's a really cool story about him. I think that's it's so it's so cool that that this that Henzo ultimately did have that like one UFC fight and ended his career with that one UFC fight. I think that's just a neat just a you know a neat way for him to kind of roll out his career and, and poetic. Very poetic. Yeah, exactly. It's cool. I'm such a, I'm such a Henzo fan. He's got a mean squad. He, they they're out of New York. All his guys are killers. Yep. And also, a little side note, if you have some time, after you watch this show and after you watch Pride 10, go search for the YouTube video of Henzo Gracie rolling with High and Gracie. Mm. Phenomenal. I mean, they're just going at it so hard, and and, and it ends with, there's no tap or anything. It's just Henzo just kind of tapping, uh, like a little, not a smack, but just like a little pat on the cheek to High and being like, good job, we're done here. You know, it's it's pretty sweet. Tell us what you think of the show. Give us a like if you would like. That's the thumbs up down below. In the comments section, tell us about your favorite early MMA moment, whether it be Pride, UFC, K1. We, we would love to hear. Keep the conversation going. Uh, Twitter. You can follow Fraser at FCoffeine. You can follow me at the Eddie Mercado. You can read us both over at BloodyElbow.com. Whitelist us on your ad blockers. That also helps us out a bunch. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Go be a good person. Bloody Elbow presents Sixth Round Retro, the show that digs into the archives and does a comprehensive review of classic MMA events that span as far back as UFC 1. So, welcome to the Six Round Retro. We are covering Strike Force One, Frank Shamrock versus Caesar Gracie. Now, my co-host for today is nothing other than top flight, top shelf combat sports journalist, Mr. Vic Rodriguez. Vic, how are you? Good, I guess. Uh, just got home from work, had a little coffee. I'm uh, living the dream because now I get to share... A good little stroll through down memory lane with you. Ah, oh, so, that's that's yeah. always nice. Shout out some to real the shit. So yeah, there's no yeah. UFC, there's no Bellator, there's no PFL this week. Uh, there is the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series, but outside Wait, of that, I'm sorry, 
by the way, by the way, Dana White Contender Series, there is a written preview. That'll be coming up on Bloody Elbow as well. Please be sure to check that out to get a primer on everybody who's going to be on that and, and part of that event. Uh, part of that's going to be Greg Hardy, NFL, um, former NFL player with a little bit of a rap sheet. He's uh, he's yeah. making his professional debut, so that's all right. So the date for this event was March tenth, two thousand six, and the venue was the HP Pavilion in San Jose, California. San Jose, of course, we associate with Bellator. Of course, Scott Coker. This is this is Scott Coker's first really big promotion. This is him coming out. This is like right after the Ultimate Fighter. It's like a year, a year after uh, the Ultimate Fighter One finished up. So this was a prime time for anyone who wanted to get into the MMA game to go ahead and do so because the money was there, the attention was there. It was the time. So we got Strike Force, oh. and um. It, it was pretty cool, I gotta say. I, go, I think the card was pretty decent. We they had Phil Baroni announcing, which kind of geeked me out. I don't remember him announcing the very first uh, Strike Force event, but I do remember him commentating a bit over in Pride and did an extremely terrible job. Said some really racist things and derogatory remarks towards the Japanese fighters. So it was, I was a little shocked to see him uh, out here doing his. Uh, doing some commentating and uh, Chuck Norris was in, in attendance. So, you know, it's a, you know, it's a good event whenever, whenever Chuck Norris is there. All right. So yeah. this no, event was capped off with Frank Shamrock defeating Caesar Gracie by knockout, just 21 seconds into the first round. Um, Frank was basically kind of away from the sport for a little bit. he, you know, he was in the UFC, he won the middleweight title, and then between the years of 2000 and 2006, he only fought one time. So he was insanely inactive and really on that, um, he was like a myth, you know? At this point in time, he was like the legend of Frank Shamrock, the myth of Frank Shamrock. Like, oh, man, if Shamrock came back, he would destroy everybody. Yeah, maybe he wouldn't. Maybe he would. Whatever. The debate was going on, and Shamrock was still like that mythical creature, and we're finally getting him back in, in uh, mainstream MMA. Yeah, that's that's true. And let's let's remember also that in this case, when you're talking about Frank Shamrock at that time, you're, you're talking about a guy... Uh, had been in the shack fame, also sort of had been really getting by more than anything by his athleticism and his technique. He wasn't just like, oh, this is this guy's brother, you know, adopted brother, whatever the case may be. It's not just the name. It really, there really is a very serious pedigree here for combat. Uh, and, and the sort of attitude that he had to pick these things up and, and really put them in, to have a very well-rounded game as early as he did. So it truly, in many senses, he was a pioneer. Uh, I believe that at that point, I'm not entirely sure, because I, mean, I don't remember 100% of the details here, but I do remember that Frank, I guess, had grown tired of uh, a couple of problems with the grind of the sport. He had some injuries. I think he was trying to expand into other ventures and explore other avenues for capital. And, um, you know, it, it just was a thing that uh, that that just 
fell into everybody's, you know, respective laps. Because California, you have to remember, had just recently uh, legalized MMA and um, Strike Force had originally been a kickboxing organization, as that was Scott Coker's uh, forte. You know, it's kind of where he cut his teeth in the fight business. And they decided to expand and have an MMA show. And why not let's have a uh, Shamrock versus Gracie of our own, even though for reasons that I'm pretty sure we're going to get into that perhaps sounds the hell of a lot better on paper than it actually was. Yeah, and so this was Gracie's only pro-MMA bout ever. He didn't have any before, he didn't have any after. So this was a Mm -hmm. one and done, and I don't think Gracie was ready for this. Shamrock was just way too diverse, and Gracie was primarily a striker. I mean, excuse me, primarily a grappler, of course. So, you know, Shamrock comes out, Jab, jab, leg kick. Jab, cross, leg kick. Overhand, right, and, and drops drops Gracie. And, and I mean, some grounded pound, academic grounded pound, and, and it was a wrap. So Gracie really had no business being in this fight. Um, but kudos to him for even stepping up and taking it in the first place. Yeah, I, I mean, and it also made sense given the scope of, like, you know, Shamrock, I think, had already been living in California at the time. Well, I mean, he grew up in California, but uh, Gracie was a Bay Area, Bay Area local, uh, again, with the big name, but he just wasn't, number one, he wasn't an athlete. Number two, he wasn't a striker. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say that the guy wasn't tough because that wouldn't be true, but I'm not, uh, your ability to withstand that kind of concussive damage, like, you know, there's, there's, you learn those things, you know, even if you, even if you're not that great at it, you can learn to hang on a little longer. He didn't have that in him. And that's just the product of him being a grappler more than anything else. Not really probably doing any striking training until this fight, uh, opportunity came up. So yeah, man, it was kind of sad, but it got the, the, uh, the, the audience riled up. You got Frank walking around talking about, this is my house. And you're like, okay, no one's disputing that, but thank you, uh, for clarifying and yeah, it was just a, a weird but fun way that we get a highlight real finish, but also a great inaugural event for the uh, a region that was really hurting the most for like a high profile MMA uh, promotion. I think you really nailed it with the whole, you know, Frank, you know, saying this was his house. And because, you know, this was exciting because it was like Frank Shamrock's back, you know, and that's what everybody wanted to see after, after him being away from the sport for so long and everyone understanding that he had so much potential and the sky really was the limit for him. And, you know, it was, it was nice to, to see him get back. It was almost, and for those who are like football fans, it's like what if Barry Sanders would have came back to, to football when he left the Lions. That's what this kind of was for me. It was it was a great that you just knew was so great and you wanted to see him compete, but for his own personal reasons, he's not. And and so it, it was cool and it was special. And um, he only won one more fight after this, but you know, his his remaining, you know, four fights were absolutely just monumental. They were all exciting all like just bangers they were all just bangers so i I highly recommend watching this one and and watching all the ones after this as well because and his lone his lone victory after this was phil baroni who was commentating so full circle on the whole uh phil baroni tip all right so before that 
We had Kung Lee making his professional MMA debut, taking on Mike uh, Altman. What's up, Vic? I, uh, no, I, I, I had myself muted for a moment. I just wanted to just cap off the Frank Shamrock thing. Even in his losses, they're worth checking out some of his fights. Uh, or actually, I'd go with this whole uh, oh. anthology of fights. You know what I mean? I'd, I'd really recommend sitting down, breaking it up into chunks, watching two fights a day, because there's, a, there's, there's something really special about it. you look at him and the rest of the talents in the field at the time and uh, you'll really see what sets him apart it's it's worth watching especially that last fight against nick diaz man that was that was surreal again but uh, but very much worth your time so um, yeah well, i guess we should maybe recap i don't know sure why not so we had the return of frank shamrock looking great dusting caesar gracie early in the first round didn't even last a minute it was uh, it was a shellacking, but it was cool because it gave everyone the feeling that Shamrock was back. So there's that. Uh, Vic, what's your final takeaway for Strike Force Shamrock versus Gracie? It's a nice little curio. If you can make the time to watch these fights, I'd suggest you do it. I mean, even if like you know the more boring ones, you can probably scrub ahead here. But just to see where MMA was at that time, which is always the case with a lot of these events that we uh, like to do these retros on, but also to see how these people who were very influential to the careers of others and who went on to great things, a sort of formative stage and, and sort of uh, witness that growth, or at least just sort of get a, a piece of it off the top. Yeah, it was cool. And it's, it's, it's cool to see the trajectory of Strike Force and the parallels with what's going on in Bellator right now. So Scott Coker's fingerprints, you know, he's always been known for a guy, uh, like a, a, a fighter's promoter, who makes exciting fights, knows how to put on big events. Like, yeah, you got Bellator, so you have to deal with some riffraff and, and a lot of, you know, not top flight athletes, basically. But, you know, I think he does a pretty decent job. And I thought he did a really good job in Strike Force as well. So it's cool to, to go back and see how the event kicked off. And, you know, Phil Baroni did a pretty good job of commentating, I got to say. Like, I think he did, he did good well, so good on him. Who Baroni is still fighting too, by the way. He just picked up a win in like two minutes or something in some regional scene in Connecticut, I think. No, it was King of the Cage. I had to write the preview on it. Uh, sorry. <laughs> no. Listen, I ain't doing it for the free, you know what I mean? But like, fuck, man, having to think about him fighting again and then seeing the fight and then seeing him demand that the audience, uh, you know, celebrate his win because it was a knockout, even though everyone was not impressed. I don't know. Enough about Baroni, though. Strike Force yeah. One, I guess it's not even called Strike Force One. It's called Strike Force Shamrock versus Gracie. But pretty cool yes. event, and you know, it'll definitely make you feel old <laughs> going back and watching it. That's for sure. Yeah, that's true. All right, well, that is our show. So thank you guys for tuning in, Vic. Thank you so much for joining me. In the meantime, you can follow Vic on Twitter at Vic M. Rodriguez. You can follow me on Twitter at the Eddie Mercado. Read us both over at bloodyelbow.com. If you like the show, and I know you did, please give us a thumbs up. That's the like down below. It really helps us out. In the comments section, tell us about your favorite early MMA moments, Strike Force, Elite XC, Pride, UFC, whatever the case may be. We've, been, we've done K1 before on, on these retro shows. Subscribe to MMANation.com. That's D-O-T-C-O-M on YouTube, on iTunes, SoundCloud. Google Play if we're on there as well. And stay tuned for all our shows. If I did it, 
like we said, there's no mainstream MMA this weekend, so some of our shows won't be going down, but we will have the MMA depressed us. Um, there is a, two, a Dana White Tuesday night contender series that, that is going down tomorrow night. Vic, you said you got a preview coming out for that tomorrow? That I do. Vic's got a preview for that coming out on Bloody Elbow. I'll have a results post on Bloody Elbow right after the fight, so go check that out as well. Next week, we'll be on our regular, or no, not a regular schedule, but Vic and I will be doing a PFL vivisection, maybe, with Zane Simon, perhaps? Yeah, I know. Schedule permitting, yeah. I don't see why not. Fuck it. Awesome. Well, did we miss anything, Vic? No, not really. Just, uh, I think we I think we pretty much hammered out everything here, and we'll be doing this again soon. Awesome. Well, probably once again for tuning in. Well to see you. Yeah. Vic's, Vic's going in and out on me. Good time to end the show. We'll see you next time. Now go be a good person. Bloody Elbow presents Sixth Round Retro, the show that digs into the archives and does a comprehensive review of classic MMA events that span as far back as UFC 1. Evan Chicado here with BloodyElbow.com. Welcome to the Sixth Round Retro. My co-host, none other than Top Shelf Combat Sports Journalist, Vic Rodriguez. Vic, what is good in the hood? Oh my God! You, you're you're a man that's very very much after my own heart with all the flattery, and it will get you anything you want because I'm like that. <clears throat> I uh, <laughs> God, I shouldn't have weed brain when I'm not smoking. I I don't know what it is, but I just I got the giggles now. After I think I have that effect on people. You do. This is very. You know what? This is true. You do have that. All right, so we're here to talk about UFC 60. This was Matt Hughes versus Hoist Gracie. This happened May 27th of 2006, live at the Staples Center in Los Angeles, California. You had Rogan and Goldberg commentating along with Randy Couture, which was a nice addition. He was there to, uh, you know, tell us how much age wasn't a factor and 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 all that. Uh, a couple of a couple of celebrities in the house. We had Cindy Crawford and Michael Clark Duncan and the Wayans brothers and. Paris Hilton and David Spade and you know it was uh, back when the UFC was cool and you're forgetting you're forgetting the people's champion the rock with hair back in the day was actually <laughs> there in attendance live and that was uh that was fun man 2006 uh, this this is like a snapshot of of that era which I kind of feel like I, I think I've been saying that for all these retros right for but this is more of um uh, a snapshot of like where the culture was more so than where the sport was, right? Like, yeah, it, MMA was, you know, somewhat popular, uh, you know, not at first, clearly, you know, it was a very fringe thing and very weird people were the, like the, the, the fringes of the, the, the D-list were the guys that were uh, more attracted to it. But having a spectacle like this in Los Angeles when MMA was on the upswing, um, pretty interesting times, man, especially looking at where those names are now and, and what's happened since. Yeah, so this was like a year after the Ultimate Fighter and it was funny because on the on the broadcast, uh, Spencer Fisher was walking out, and Joe Rogan's like, "Yeah, these guys they get paid now. They don't they don't have to have day jobs." Fast forward to twenty eighteen. Somebody forgot to tell Rick Glenn, "Fuck you." No, absolutely not. not. I mean, unless you're talking champions, but then even then, it's like 
Uh, God, there's a reason Shane Carwin never quit his day job, okay? And it's it's not even the money. It's just the security. Talking about just knowing, yeah, and, and, Well, okay, but hang on. He's doing it because he enjoys it, and there's like a civil service, you know, component. It's a, it's, it's, it's him. Yeah, whatever. There's a pension. Well, okay, there's a pension, obviously. There's a great health plan for him and his family, which he won't get through fighting. But it's also the fact that he's been very open and honest about this, and I believe him when he says it. It's honoring that part of the social contract, keeping up on your end. And I really do feel that, that he feels he's making a difference with that. And I respect it. Yeah, you got to respect it, for sure. Yeah. All right, so, you know, this was a, a pretty interesting card, headlined by Matt Hughes taking on Hoist Gracie, and, you know, what you were saying culturally, also, you know, in terms of where the sport was, because you took someone in Hoist Gracie who was there at UFC 1, kind of started it all, and and when he had his day, it was like, okay, obviously there's this art form known as jiu-jitsu, and it, doesn't, it, it really takes a lot of the size out of the equation, but fast forward to here in 2006, the sport had evolved into, okay, we got three five-minute rounds. You know, it's a, a, a lot of cross-training had been going on, so it's not like there were too many just specialists, and this guy only knows this or has only seen that. I mean, just on this card alone, when we had Gonzaga versus Scherner, I mean, both grappling guys, but out there throwing strikes, you know, and each man throwing decent strikes. So the, the game had definitely evolved. And it wasn't like Gracie took off a whole bunch of time and just all of a sudden came back. You know, he was he was fighting in pride. He was fighting in, in other places. Yeah. So, uh, but it was interesting when they when they mentioned Hoist Gracie, they his record. They left out all the uh, all that outside stuff. So that was kind of funny. Uh, hang on, hang on, hang on. When you say outside stuff. <laughs> <laughs> So it was his first UFC fight um, since 1994, and man, was this an uphill battle. He, he took on Matt Hughes, who was like, you know, king of the world at this point at welterweight. This was right before GSP's reign. This was Matt Hughes coming to an end of his title reign. Already beat GSP when he faced him once. He armbarred him there in the first round. Yeah. So this is like peak Matt Hughes. This is primetime Matt Hughes. Yeah. And like... I was going into this, I was a little bit fearful for Hoist Gracie even then. And Hoist is still getting into fights today. But like even like I was concerned for the health of Hoist Gracie going into this. And the fight played out exactly what I what I thought it was gonna be. That's good old fashioned, passionate ass whooping from Matt Hughes. Yeah, I remember hearing someone say that because I, I, I wasn't uh keeping my finger on the pulse of the sport as much back then. I was very aware of it, sure, but when I heard someone mention that, like, yeah, Hoist Gracie's fighting Matt Hughes, I'm like, wait, why? I, I, I never understood. It it didn't make sense to me in the buildup, and I didn't even know what the results were for, like, weeks after, and then I was like, yeah, I could have gone through my life without knowing the results or seeing this and, and be happy, and, you know, it, it's... It's a shame, but it is what it is, and I, we'll we'll get to um, the specifics of the fight itself <laughs> later on. But well, yeah. we're, we'll get into it right now, so... Right, Basically, so they come out and Hoist, he's throwing his leg kicks, he's he's doing his best, and Hughes, he clinches up, gets the takedown, you know, into side control, Hoist grains, he, he gains half guard, but Hughes was just so much more powerful and, and so much younger and just, 
I mean, Hoist really had nothing for him. Like, it, it looked, it almost looked criminal, to be honest. It almost looked like elderly abuse, I'm going to say it. Like, <laughs> no, nah, you can say it. I mean, it's like, <laughs> we're sitting there laughing at old man Hoist. Like, he's got a fucking, you know, he came out to the ring with his IV hanging from the thing, and he's, like, rolling his stick with the fucking bag of fluid or whatever. But, like, I mean, he did look old, man. He looked aged. He looked, um, you know, he, he had no place. This fight should not have ever happened. And uh, the thing about the thing about uh, Hughes was the way that he controlled the hips, the way that he kept his position, and he just kept pummeling the guy. Like I don't think there was anything ever in Gracie Combatters about what to do when it's a hyper athlete like fucking Matt Hughes. It was just you know built like a shit brick house and just stout, and he has technique, and he's able to just beat you from anywhere. And uh, beat he did. He definitely beat up on on Old Hoist, and and it was very tragic. I mean, it's just like. There wasn't much cheering as it was happening. It was more like, oh, my God, what the hell? You know, and, and it, this isn't even like there was a symbolic passing of the torch moment, like when we saw Big Nog get submitted by Verdum, which probably not the best example, but like, you know, from like from one uh, high level BJJ guy to another type thing, you know, but it, it wasn't even that. It was more like the disparity was so great. There was no real history. There's no real reason for this to have existed. And it did. And it was just a. a tremendous blowout and um yeah you you'd wish that he would have stopped there but nope yeah i gotta say i i hated matt hughes for this honestly like when it happened it was it was right in front of elio gracie i was just like man like this, ah, is, this is that's I, not hang on that's not on that's not on matt though he got in there listen, he got paid to you, fucking you have to up, understand like, this is 2006 right so yeah. i'm like how old, you know, maybe I'm like maybe 20 years old, 19 years old here. So I hated Matt Hughes for this. And I was like, why would you even take this fight? Like, it's disrespectful to even sign up for this. That's how I felt at the time as, as just a fan. Like, I was like, damn you. And like, Tim Sylvia's out there all celebrating, jumping around with his heavyweight belt around his waist like a fucking... What do you want him to do? He's happy for Man. his friend. If that was my I friend know, in there, like... I'd be happy for him too. What do you but want at least, to do? at least Matt Hughes wasn't jumping around like that. Like, Matt okay, Hughes then don't put it on him. I, that's fine. That's that's perfectly like, fine. That's not his fault. a little sour that he derailed GSP's title. Like I, I was I was really behind that storyline, and he, he did that, and he ruined that for me. And then he came out and he did this to Hoy. So I'm like, that's strike two, bud. Well, I'm going to start rooting against you. So it you took, know, this is when I turned on, on Matt Hughes. And it took me a while to come back around. I, I never really liked Matt Hughes that much at first. And um, it had really not that much to do with, I think it had more to do with the fact that the UFC product to me was very like bland and generic, you know, like, especially in this era, like the, the, just around maybe until around maybe the third, but until like maybe the, the comeback season of tough. That's when I really like started sort of coming around because, you know, Pride had the bright lights and the, the, the pageantry and the ring and the elevators and the screens and the fireworks. And the UFC was just, you know, like some dirty, grimy dungeon with like, you know, that ass rock that was, with the with the gladiator and the face the pain and all that. So it's like to me, it just seemed you know, like fights like this to me seem like they were more routinely celebrated, but I didn't really have an appreciation for the technique that some of those guys had. And it wasn't, you know, I, I still enjoyed some of the fights, but the product overall, I was very sour on. And Matt Hughes seemed to me like the poster child. 
for a lot of the UFC's product of that era. And it wasn't until later on that I was able to really appreciate, like, you know, his uh, his proficiency, his technique, and how sharp and how clean he could really be. What a great fighter he really, truly was, and deserving of being a Hall of Famer. So, um, of course, personal problems aside, because that's not what gets you in the Hall of Fame. Um, but uh, yeah, no, that that's 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 sort of my little thing here with Matt Hughes and this fight, notwithstanding, it just. I don't know. It it just it didn't really have anything to do with that, but it it was uh, very questionable, and I'm glad the UFC stayed away from that sort of fight making or matchmaking for quite some time afterwards. Yeah, so I, I definitely turned on Matt Hughes here, which only got worse in his next fight because he he takes on BJ Penn and he gets him in that mounted crucifix and pounds him out, and I'm just like, oh, you motherfucker! <laughs> 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 oh man, I went full on not liking Matt Hughes. And then mm. he fights GSP again, and GSP takes his lunch money. And then I forgave Matt Hughes and became a Matt Hughes fan again after that. Yeah, well, you know. Mm. Um, so, yeah, Matt Hughes, uh, he's in the Hall of Fame, right? He's He was inducted, no? I believe he is. Oh, uh, man. So he's he's doing well, actually, after that horrific train accident. Yeah. He, he was uh, struck by a train in his vehicle, and he was you know, really in a, in, in a bad place for a long time. And, and, uh, the UFC actually did something decent recently where they brought him out and had to make the walk to the octagon, which was super cool, super emotional moment. So, uh, good, good on him. He's definitely, uh, as tough as they come and, and one of the unsung heroes of mixed martial arts, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. His, his time came prior to when a lot of the exposure that we see now, um, was, you know, a thing. So, yeah. Yeah, it was like he handed off the baton to GSP at just the right time for GSP to get all that shine. And what a guy to get that shine, opening up the international market, right? That's amazing. Yeah, real yeah. shit. Yeah, and, and uh, one last thing, I forgot to mention this earlier. Worry-Free Escapes by Dean Lister. It's a DVD series. It's phenomenal. Be sure to check it out. I wrote up a review. I think it was sometime last year. It's excellent, excellent stuff for your defensive grappling. Some pretty creative stuff. Some of the older stuff, but he adds like some tweaks and stuff, and he breaks down a lot of the details to keep your ass alive on the mat. It's been really, really dope, and I, I can't recommend it enough, man. It's pretty essential stuff, especially when you're starting out, because uh, he's really good at explaining – why you know what a submission is you know like what are the mechanics of an arm bar and how you're going to get out of it and why so um really good if you're sort of starting out and you're just like a you know a white belt who's been at it a little bit you know it, it, it'll really really oh, help whatever, you out whatever whatever belt you are Dean whatever belt it's yeah exactly it's it's really good no matter what belt level you're at but uh for a lot of the uh starter guys you know a lot of the guys who probably aren't really you know their defense is lacking definitely check it out yeah, so Dean Lister hitting the slick triangle submission on Alessio Sakara in the co-main event. That was awesome. You had uh, Mike Swick officially coining the Swickatine. Melvin Gillard in top form. Jeremy Horn submitting Chael Sonnen with that crazy arm bar. Brandon Vera submitting a Suario Silva, continuing on his hype train. Matt Hughes. Proven to hoist Gracie that age and athleticism matter a whole lot in modern day MMA. Uh, Vic, did we miss anything? No, uh, but I think. Hmm, let me see. Let me think. What was the other thing? What Myman? That's what we're missing. What <laughs> 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 Myman? All right, that's our show. Thank you for tuning in, Vic. Thank you so much for joining me. As always, 
Uh, in the meantime, you can follow Vic on Twitter at Vic M. Rodriguez. You can follow me on Twitter at The Eddie Mercado. Read us both over at bloodyelbow.com. If you like the show, smash the like button. It's the thumbs up down below. It helps us out. Subscribe, out. subscribe, you filthy heathens. Subscribe to MMANation.com. That's D-O-T-C-O-M on YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, if we're there also, all that jazz. Stay tuned for our upcoming shows. Care, don't care if I did it. The MMA vivisection, the sixth round, the regular sixth round, uh, future sixth round retros with me and Vic. And uh, so this week, what do we got? The uh, Dana White Tuesday night contender series tomorrow. The preview is dropping Tuesday morning. PFL on Thursday. On Thursday, with as well, uh, we should we're aiming for vivisections as well as preview written on uh, re- written preview on that. And Invicta this Saturday. Do not forget Invicta thirty this Saturday and UFC on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, so, curiously enough, out of Germany, I believe, yeah? Oh, yep, exactly. Yeah. So I'll have results posted for those. Vic has previews coming up. Uh, catch us both at bloodyelbow.com. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Go be a good person. What, Myman? Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Vivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA depressed us. Crooklyn's Corner. Exclusive fighter interviews. Show money. Guest podcasts. The Hey Not the Face podcast. And radio style play by play for every UFC pay per view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow. Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow blog. And as always, on BloodyElbow.com. <laughs>